welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for single women considering solo motherhood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo motherhood coach and solo mum to a three-year-old daughter. For series three of the podcast, I've interviewed a variety of people who share their personal stories, providing a collection of different perspectives of paths to parenthood. In today's episode, I speak to Natalie, Natalie's solo mum to her daughter, Tiger, who's two and a half. In the episode, we talk about having a boyfriend whilst deciding to become a solo parent and going through treatment, as well as Natalie's experience of travelling as a solo mum. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. You're welcome. So I think I came across you, I think, on the Stalk and I Mum Tribe Facebook group and noticed that you had been commenting on people's questions about travel with a child and thought, oh, this could be a very good topic to, uh, to cover on the podcast. But before we go into that, it would be great if you could just maybe give yourself a little bit of an introduction. Sure, certainly. So uh, my name's Natalie. I'm a solo mum and my daughter is two and a half now. Her name's Tiger. I've kind of got a very long convoluted story to how I came to have her, but I'll try and sort of sum it up really quickly. So um, I broke up with my boyfriend at the time when I was 34 and because he was 20 years older than me and didn't want to have any more children so it's very amicable and then I kind of set myself into this ridiculously long dating journey and met 118 people in two and a half years so I was very committed to actually find I love that you've got the number (laughs) I love that you've got the number (laughs) and I kept a list amazing I wish I'd done that (laughs) I I actually sort of wanted to be able to show my whoever my child ended up being in the end if it didn't work out to say I want you to know that I tried really really hard really hard and here are the 118 candidates that I rejected anyway or who who rejected me obviously it wasn't all on my side anyway so and whilst all of that was going on I decided to freeze my eggs because I thought oh that's probably a good idea I've heard about you know fertility dropping off a off a cliff at sort of 35 and I was 34 so I kind of thought oh I might maybe I should do something about that and I wasn't really ready initially I, I just knew that I had to do something so I, I kind of Googled egg freezing and then I ended up on the Fertility Friends website that a lot of us were using a very, very long time ago. And I happened to get invited to a picnic with solo bums that weekend. And I went along to that and I suddenly met 30 solo mums with children everywhere or being pregnant. And I was just my mind was completely blown because I didn't know anything about anything I still remember sitting down with somebody and her saying so do you know anything about IVF and I sort of went no I've I've heard that there are needles involved but I you know and she's like okay okay I'll start from the beginning so that was sort of when I was 34 and I wasn't really I, I was kind of being greeted by all these women I'm thinking, oh my God, this is amazing, this is incredible, but I'm not, I'm not ready to do this right now, you know? And actually, I really want to meet a man, so let's, let's try and do that, because I've literally only just broken up with my boyfriend. So I sort of thought, okay, right, egg freezing, okay. Oh, I was sort of young enough to do um, egg sharing, which meant that I got um, the IVF for free, and also I was able to potentially help another family or another few families and by the time I actually got to do it and I was that that was with the Lister in London I had then by that point kind of managed to um, develop quite a lot of friendships with solo mums who had used egg donors as well as sperm donors and I've met their kids and I felt a very strong affiliation with with them and I because I could actually sort of see if you were being an egg donor that that would that could be the outcome and wouldn't that be amazing and I'd love to help so um so there was sort of like it was a balance on one side you thought oh wow brilliant free IVF that's wonderful and on the other hand was hopefully that will help somebody so I did two cycles to freeze eggs um and I gave half of my eggs away to two different recipients and very sadly that didn't work for either one of them but I wish that it had and I'm, I'm Desperately sad that it didn't happen. So I would have been very happy if it, if it had have happened. 
And then I realized actually they wouldn't let me do a third egg freezing, um, a third egg sharing cycle because I wasn't responding so well. So I moved on to a, one which I paid for again at the Lister. And that was the first time I really realized the cost of the entire thing. I mean, I cannot even, it, the little tiny injections that you had, I remember thinking, cause I was getting them given to me for free. And I thought, man, that's 40 pounds. This one little thing is 40 pounds was incredible anyway so I had and that was by that point I guess it probably been I don't know how long it'd been maybe six months with the egg freezing that I'd finally got my head around using a donor so um, I got my donor from Zytex in America um, where I had adult pictures child pictures loads of information about him going back sort of three generations and chose him, chose that donor overnight on my own and then and then froze embryos uh, but again I still wasn't really ready to, to I wasn't definitely wasn't ready to sort of step into solo motherhood but I did know that because I'm still dating the 118 people um, but I did know that if I finally got to the end of a sort of self-imposed age deadline that I would use them so from that site that first one in London um, I had five um, they froze them on day one, which was slightly, which now is slightly unusual. So I then realised that I had eight eggs in the freezer and five embryos, and I probably needed more in order to, you know, have a viable, actually get a baby at the end of it, out of all of these things that was freezing. Um, so, and I realised I needed to freeze more embryos. And I had friends who had um, gone to serum in Athens um, and um and were pregnant and and everybody raved about them and I got to know um lots of people who'd been over to Greece and obviously I'm a big traveler so that's like that was a big appeal to go there I went over there met Penny and um who's the clinical director totally blown away by Penny and um I then had two further cycles in at Serum in Athens using the same donor and so I kind of built up a stock of more embryos and interestingly they seem to be ahead of their time and this is going back how many years now because um, I'm 43 now and I was like 35 like 34 35 and they froze embryos as blastocysts which was considered to be kind of quite a forward-thinking thing and now everybody does that everybody as far as I'm aware everybody freezes blastocysts embryos at, at day five if they're not doing a fresh transfer and I remember I remember being in Greece and I had some great holidays going over to going over there and I, I you know I just I, I think that having IVF abroad is a fantastic thing because I think that you, I mean, first of all, you get, to, you get to, you know, you get to get on a plane, you get to go and see the sun, you get to have a holiday. I think if you're doing the entire process through from, um, you know, egg collection, embryos, transferring them, I really think that there's something to do with people being relaxed and being stress-free or fairly stress-free as you are when you're on holiday. Whereas in contrast, my uh, cycles at the Lister, I was getting up at 6.15 in the morning. I was taking a train in from Hampshire into central London. And I was at my appointment for 8.30 and I was back on the train. I was walking into work at 11 o'clock in the morning, shattered and quite stressed, stressed about it. Now, I wasn't, I was freezing. So really for me, the stress didn't really matter. But I do think that for people who are doing fresh cycles, that I think doing IVF abroad and when it's a sort of more like like you are basically on holiday, I think that's that I think that that contributes to a more positive outcome. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that was that. So then I remember bidding them goodbye. I was 35. I was so proud of myself. I was sort of like, oh, well done, Natalie. You're, you're amazing. You've managed to do all of this before your 36th birthday. And I was still sitting on them. I remember sort of bidding the, the receptionist there goodbye, saying, bye then, look after my embryos. I'll be back. Maybe never, <laughs> maybe in a few years. Yeah, then two years passed. I actually, man number 118 is my boyfriend now. I met him. Yes, decided, we decided to start dating each other. And we had a conversation. We, we've never lived together. We don't live together now. We had a conversation when I was about 38. And yeah, I was about 38, approaching my 39th birthday. And I did 
no because of sort of like the nature of our relationship the fact that we hadn't moved in together still but really good friends and that that it was probably a no but I needed to give him the opportunity to say no so we talked about having a baby together I initiated the conversation and basically asked him in the pub as you do and then he thought about it for about a month and then said no and I was sort of like okay that's fine. We're both crying. I remember we were drinking champagne in this bar in London, this, this, this that was up high. It was a um, skyline bar, whatever you call them. And I remember the waitresses sort of bringing these glasses of champagne over and we're both crying. And I was like, oh, what, the, what, the, what must I think of this? Anyway, so I just said to him, well, listen, I'm so, and I knew in my mind, so I knew when I asked him, that was right, the next thing is going to be, right, you know, I'm going to try on my own and I just thought oh well there you go we're just going to break up I'm going to have two years with you it's going to be great and then we're going to break up and I said well you know I suppose if you think about it I don't really need I don't want another man I want you so you know we're all good and you know really realistically let's think about this what's going to happen if I start trying on my own, I've got my embryos and my eggs in London, and my, some embryos and eggs in London, I've got some embryos in Athens. And all that really is going to happen is that I'm going to start going to Greece and having those embryos transferred and see what happens. And I said, well, if we think really, really logically about this, all that's going to happen is I'm gonna, you're going to see me popping off to Greece and back and you'll know what I'm doing. And, you know, and having known a bit all, all of these sort of Facebook groups for such a long time, I knew that people doesn't just work first time, you know? So I was like, well, you know, I might, I mean, it might work first time and then we still want nine months, you know? <laughs> but, you know, probably more likely it's not going to work and it's not going to work again. And then maybe I get pregnant and have a miscarriage and I have another miscarriage. And in the end, it could be that there is no baby. And then actually we're no different to how we were before. But, you know, I really need to try. And then we just, we just kept going. Like we just kept going as normal, seeing each other on the weekends. And I and I did. I started going to started going to Greece, and I, I used up all of my embryos in Greece. Um, I had two hysteroscopies, and what did I do? I did four frozen embryo transfers. I did three single ones. I'd frozen them singly, and the last one I kind of threw the book at it and transferred four. Uh, no, I didn't. I transferred three. I discarded one because it wasn't good enough quality, and it still didn't work. And I remember being so pissed off. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, well, now we're back to London. Okay, I've got what I've got in London. I've got those five that I told you about that were frozen on day one. So then they needed to be thawed and sort of cultured or whatever, or grown to day five. And we ended up with three. At the end of day five, we transferred, I would have transferred all three of them to be quite honest, because I've just got to that point where I didn't, you know, that was like twins. Yeah, fine. Bring it on. No problem. You know, I mean, the reality, maybe not sure, but I was very much, I just didn't think it was anything was going to work. <laughs> but in London, they wouldn't allow me to transform more than two. So we transferred two. And so that would have been my fifth frozen embryo transfer over probably about a year. And then I was with pretty much most of the time when I did my uh, tests, I was with my boyfriend. Strangely, it just seemed to happen that it was on the, on the same days we were together. And I remember doing the test and putting it, I didn't look at it and I put it, I turned it upside down in the bathroom and I just walked away. And then I, I kind of, it's on a Monday morning, I, I get myself all ready, I tidy up. I kind of slowly, slowly back out of his flat and get in my car and go to work, which is quite a long drive away. And I was tidying up and I was just doing the washing up and then I was, I was putting everything. And all I could think is like, oh, that bloody thing I've got. Um, that's plastic it needs going to go in the recycling um, and that's be the last thing I'll, I'll chuck out. <laughs> so um, I didn't feel, I didn't have any symptoms, I didn't feel anything, I'd never felt anything all the way along. So I then went back into the bathroom and I turned it over and it said pregnant and I was like, oh my god, he was fast asleep, but he put the radio on so he's sort of half awake and I'm, sh I'm, I'm sort of like, I've got this plastic stick and I'm waving. I'm going, oh my God, wake up. Oh my God, wake up. Look, 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 like this. And he was like, 
what, what, what? Because he was just waking up. And I was like, look, it worked, it's worked, it's worked. And he was like, oh my God, well, calm down, calm down. It might not be, it might not be right. And he, he was like, bursting my bubble straight away. I was like, shut up, of course it's right. And he said, oh, it might not be, might not, might not have worked. It might, you know, it might be wrong. And do another test later. And then I was like, okay, well, well I've got to go. I've got to go because I'm going to be late for work and I've got to go. So off I went. And I had three blood tests to check the HCG levels. And every single time I was like, is it doubling? Is it doubling the number? And it did, and it did, it did. And then we just kept going and, and then um, had my pregnancy. And she was born uh, one month early, so it's a bit of a surprise. <laughs> um, I had preeclampsia. And, and in terms of my boyfriend, we kind of really just kind of ignored it. And I didn't really look pregnant. I never looked pregnant. I'm fatter now than I was then. And then so all of a sudden she was here and he never wanted to be with me for the for the birth because he'd had quite a traumatic um, guts and gore experience with uh, one of his daughters. And he just said to me, oh, I just don't want to be there. And I was like, fine, no problem. I had a doula booked and uh, and I ended up having a cesarean, so, which was fabulous and 20 minutes, which I can thoroughly recommend. Um, anyway, and then she arrived and... Yeah, so that was that was in eighteenth uh, of January two thousand nineteen. One thing was solo months; we get to choose the names ourselves. We don't need to debate them with anyone. Um, so her name is Tiger Robin India. Her one of her middle names, her second one, Robin with a Y, is after my former partner who um, died at age fifty two, two thousand and fifteen. And I had talked to him, we weren't together um, at the time he died, but we had been together for 13 years from when I was 17 to when I was 30. We traveled together for about five years in my 20s. So he was 16 years older than me, he was a bit older, but we basically went backpacking around the world in the first time was in 2003 and he was just really experienced with traveling um but he definitely like he encouraged the traveling thing in me so imagine 17 year old me I didn't have I'd never been anywhere yeah I've been to France and Spain with with my grandparents like my parents would go anywhere outside of the UK anyway and then our relationship got more serious and and then um and really whilst I was at university because I did German economics and international business with French in a, what they call a thin sandwich course. It meant my structure of my degree meant that I often had January and February kind of off. It was like my holidays. And also Easter, that was the other kind of big long time that you had off. So we travelled during the time I was at university. I would get on planes and meet him in Russia. And we'd get the Lonely Planet book out and say, oh, page, you know, 267 in Siberia, I'll meet you at the green hotel that's on page 267 in the Lonely Planet. And I'll meet you there on the 16th of April. And I would get on a plane and turn up, wow. you know, and he would meet me there, you know. So this is what we did many, many times. We did it in, um, uh, the very the first thing was that, that he asked me to meet him in, uh, would, would I like to go hiking in Nepal? And I said, yes, of course. I would have followed him to the ends of the earth. Um, and I went to uh, Nepal and India and flew to Kathmandu on my own, met him there for two months. We then went, yeah, the, we did a trip to Russia, to Siberia, and we did another trip during the Easter of my final year to Iran. So we'd done lots and then we traveled pretty much sort of three years straight, 2006, 2007, 2008. There was a few periods of time at home, but most of it we were traveling away traveling. We backpacked around the world a lot um, during my twenties. So that was what really kind of, I guess, he taught me and he taught me everything, you know, he taught me how to, taught me how to be a backpacker, which is actually a skill. Anyway, Tiger was here, Robin had died. So Robin was always going to be a middle name. It's never going to be a first name. So that's where that's where that came from. India came from my love of India. And Tiger is more um, because it was obviously a very unusual name. Tiger is the national symbol of India and Bangladesh. Royal Bengal Tigers. I kind of did a sense check about, is this really stupid? And looked up Facebook and kind of checked everybody. It was called Tiger in the World. Yeah, so, and the, the famous one is um, Heavenly Harani Tiger Lily 
uh, who is the son of Paula Yates, sorry, the daughter of Paula Yates and uh, Michael Hutchins. Anyway, there we go. So that's how Tiger came to be here. And I always had it in my mind about this, right, I'm going to use my maternity leave to travel because I can't, you know, I'd been working straight since I was 30. Now, I was lucky in my 20s, I'd had the five years traveling. But so I had her when... I was 40, but I was almost 41, literally weeks off my 41st birthday. And so I'd been working for like a decade straight. And I was, and it was part of it was for me, obviously, you know, I want to enjoy this, this kind of free time that I've got and I'm going to do it. So all the way throughout, that was always in my head. And I had spreadsheet after spreadsheet working out how I was going to um, afford, how I was going to afford it and what help I was going to get during the time that after the six weeks of 90% pay, I was dropping down to statutory maternity pay and how that was going to work out and how long I was going to be able to survive. Your boyfriend or you were planning on... We were still, so he came to, he did come to the birth. He didn't come, he, he, um, he didn't come into the um, uh, place where I had the cesarean, but he then waited for me in the room after that. Um, after I got out of hospital, I turned up at his flat with Tiger and I was like, hi. And we just had this kind of, we had this initial kind of like, what now moment, you know, which was just, but I always, so I go to his, uh, we, we kind of live together on the weekends, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I thought, well, that's what we do. That's what we do. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I kind of turned up and I've got her <laughs> in her in her um, car seat thing. And we just had this moment of like, oh, and he said to me, he was, and he said to me, right, I, I don't want to be a dad. I don't, I, and, I, and I don't want this place to turn into a nursery. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And it made me cry because because obviously it's hormonal and everything. And I was like, I was like, okay, okay, it's fine, okay, so so you're not going to be her daddy, and this place won't turn into a nursery, I'll make sure of that, um, so, uh, do I cup of tea? <laughs> and, and we both sort of went, oh, that bit's out of the way, okay, fine, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, and, and it was basic. You're still together now? And we're still together now, it's been seven years. So, I mean, he, he, he definitely isn't daddy, you know, we've got Father's Day coming up. He's, you know, fun Uncle Gary. He doesn't play a fatherly role at all. And that's, you know, I mean, I suppose it is what it is. It is what it is. We have what we have. Um, he's very, very supportive. I mean, I would say he was really supportive of me throughout the entire IVF process as almost like kind of like more like the best friend type thing. And was there every single time I took a test result and I was crying and it was negative. And I was like, oh, upset and angry and, you know. And he wanted it to work for me because he wanted me to be happy. Right? I'm not sure if we really thought much beyond... I think before the baby's there, it's really hard to imagine them being there. Yeah. And once they're there, it's really hard to imagine them not being there. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, really supportive of me. I think when she was a really little baby, she was just there and around and with us. And, I mean, the first sort of six to eight weeks, um, I basically, he's got two rooms, and I kind of would decamp to the spare room and just, because it wasn't fair on him that he'd be woken up all the time and especially not being her father. And, and uh, it just seemed to be, like, the most logical thing to do. And then after she slept for... Um, this is one thing that's quite important actually about how, what we did and how we did it was sleeping because I was always really scared that, well, I'm never going to, I'm, ne I'm never going to sleep again, you know? And actually, so once she was first born, first week, whatever, we were on like a four hourly cycle because I'd get to four at four, we'd be sort of feeding, um, uh, and then, then I'd be pumping, then I'd be giving her the pumped milk, then I'd be pumping, and then we'd be sleeping again. So I could kind of have like, sort of sleep in about three to four hour blocks at a time. And I remember thinking, well, that's okay, because I could do like, I can do like three hours and then three hours, and I could do another three hours, and then I've had enough sleep for the day. So then I could get on with everything. Um, and, um, but one thing I was, uh, I mean, I realised that I'm really lucky because I've got friends who, who absolutely didn't have this experience, was that at eight weeks, she slept from 11pm till 6am. And I remember thinking, yes, yes, we've got this. 
this is great. I can do this. I can do this. This is fine. So I was on a complete mission to sort of do the traveling and to go at sort of, I wanted to, you have jab, babies have their, you know, jabs at six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks and 16 weeks. And I was wanted to go after the three month. I, th- I thought it's going to take me three months to just get my whole head around this. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to get away any earlier than that. There's no way. And she's got to have the jab. So she could have had them abroad. But, you know, like that's probably the most logical thing. And everything's such a mission. It's like you're walking through treacle. Like when when they're first born, I was just like, oh, I felt like I was walking up a mountain or, you know, with walking poles, walking through snow, like keep going, keep going. So everything seems to go warps like really slow, but I kept dragging myself forward. And the first thing was to register the birth. So I did that, was able to, I went on my own. I kind of went to the place that was nearest to me geographically that had a slot. Didn't really think about where it was. I didn't really appreciate the fact that going to a register office was kind of like this big thing, I, you know, but um, otherwise I would have made, made a little thing, a bit more of it. But anyway, went to the register office, no, there's no father, so it's blank on the certificate, that's fine. The, the registrar was was lovely. Um, I think that they come across people like us all the time anyway these days. And then we needed to have a photograph for the passport. So then I took her to Snappy Snaps and then I had to, then I got the passport. So she had a passport of three weeks old. I then needed to get the India visa. So I got the India visa. She had the India visa at, I think, six weeks old. I then did a trial flight um, at eight weeks. That was just after she started doing that sleeping. And we went to see, we went to visit my friends in Germany. So we flew to Frankfurt for about a week, I think. And that was my first, that was quite good because it was my experience of flying with a baby and how I was going to do that with the, with the bags. And the, I had a doona um, a car seat buggy, which is like, it's a car seat that turns into a, a stroller and it's brilliant. That was great. So I had that. Anyway, that worked. And I was like, oh, this is great. I can do it. You know, like, this is fine. And then the next thing that we did, we went to Leeds, actually on the train, to see some friends up there. And then we also went to we went to Paris for, for another week. And we stayed with my friends, their family, with two daughters, and who were eight and ten. And we stayed with them. So we did all of this before she was even three months old. And then, then it was like the big trip. So I did spend ages planning about what was my packing. I spent ages. And then certain things I didn't think about, breast pumps. Who wants to go backpacking with a breast pump? My God. Yeah. But I was so in a kind of phase of doing that. I was thinking I'd be fully breastfeeding and I wouldn't need to carry anything like that. But they introduced me to pumping in the hospital and I just carried on. So she was having breastfeeding she was having pumped milk and she was having formula so she's having all these three things which I never really expected so then that sort of so I had an LV breast pump which are amazing and I could highly recommend them they're the they're ones that you charge on a USB and you put into your bra and they're expensive they're about 250 for one or 400 pounds for two but they were brilliant and then once we were out in India I would like sterilize them I'd use the Milton sterilizing tablets and I would sterilize them in a bucket of water in the bathroom. And then it was the formula as well. So I took the, so the formula and I had like a collapsible travel kettle. And I, the way I made that up was through boiling the water and um, using the formula and obviously sterilized bottles. So yeah, so we flew out to India when she was, um, she'd had her 12 week jab. And I think we flew literally almost immediately as soon as she's had it also in terms of jabs she had to have a bcg that was the only thing so she was too young to have anything else and the doctors and the midwives were really helpful um and i think actually so if you've got people that um in the uk who are indian and they would be you know it seems to be a very normal thing for them to to, that you know they would naturally sort of signpost them to having this so we went to the hospital we had that she cried but then you know they do when you have a jab it's fine she doesn't remember it and and that was it then so then we left so she was born in january 2019 
And obviously now with the pandemic and everything, I just thank God that she was born in 2019, not 2020, because mm -hmm. I could never have done this, but somebody, maybe it was Robin, was watching over me anyway. Um, but um, so, yeah, so off we went. We flew to Delhi. It's really, really hot. It was April. It's really hot in, in Delhi in April, 40, 40 degrees, 45 degrees. It's crazy. So the Delhi bit was literally, we were just in a, in a, a AC hotel, barely going out really. We went out in the evening after about 6 p.m. or something, and it was still like walking into a toaster. And then we flew up to Kashmir, Srinagar in Kashmir, which is, which is beautiful um, and, and it's higher. So it's in the mountains. So I always knew that I would, I'd have to, I always wanted to go to the Indian subcontinent, but where we went, was very much dictated by the seasons because the fact that I happened to have it in January and then we'd be ready to go in April meant that we had to go up high. We had to go in the mountains. So we went to uh, Kashmir, Ladakh and Himachal Pradesh. So that was about three months altogether. And like my boyfriend and I, we were WhatsApping back and forth all the time. Um, how how was your experience? And so you spent those three months um, in India. How did you find it? I loved it. It was fantastic. I guess you kind of you do slow down a little bit, you know. Like, so when I was backpacking with Rob with Robin, you would stay somewhere for one night and move on. Now you don't do that with a baby, you know, because it just doesn't make any logical sense <laughs> to do that. So so you'd I'd probably stay in some one place for like two or three days and then I'd move on. So there's that. It's a bit slower. I definitely had a higher budget than my uh, backpacking days. I did take trains, but I never took a bus anywhere, apart from a local bus. Like if I was just going like 15 minutes up the road or something. But um, but when, you know, when you're backpacking, you take these long, you know, overnight buses and things like that. It's just no way I was ever going to do that with, a, with this baby strapped to my chest. So I flew around quite a lot and I took cars and I took kind of I would but in India you can get you know I need to get from A to B and it's going to take seven hours to get there I would hire a car and a driver for about 40 pounds yeah. so it's still 40 pounds that's quite expensive yeah. but it's like well you know what well, that's fine it's fine that's gonna you know and this is the only way I could do it and then I had quite I mean my bags so I had a tiger strapped to my chest and I had her in a Ergo 360 and then I had a big backpack and a, and a small one. So my big backpack was, I don't know, like a 25 kilo, you know, like a big one that you'd have on your back. And then I had a slightly smaller one. Um, and then I kind of always seemed to have extras. So I had like this kind of cloth bag that I'd have over my shoulder. And I only ever wore all of those things and carried all of that stuff once. And that was when I turned up in a hotel in... Uh, in Srinagar sorry not in Srinagar but in, in Kashmir and I kind of was a bit tired and I hadn't really pre-booked the hotel and I looked I looked at a couple of hotels and I looked at one and I was like oh that'll do and then I checked in and I thought actually this won't do this isn't good enough but I, I'll stay here for one night and then I'll look around and I'll look for a better hotel so I looked around and found a better hotel and the next morning I packed up everything and it was literally a hundred meters away <laughs> And I don't know why I didn't ask for help, but I just kind of thought, oh, it's fine, I can do it. So I had the big backpack on my back. I had her on my front. I was carrying the small backpack and I was carrying the cloth bag over my shoulder. And I marched up this hill for 100 metres. And I got there and it, it was about, it was like climbing Everest. And I got there and I was all sweaty by the time I got there. And they were like, why didn't you, we would have sent a car. And I was like, Oh, I didn't think of that. But that was just the one time. And the rest of the time, I never carried my own bag. You know, like there. So let's say even from if we talk walk it through from arriving in the in the airport, you have porters and they're cheap. They're like two pounds. Yeah. So you have a porter and that porter. I I I've got this great picture of me walking behind a porter where he and they, you naturally assume they're going to put your their, your big backpack on their back but they don't they put it on their head so I've got him carrying my big backpack and my small backpack like carry you know balance on top of each other on the top of his head and I'm just walking behind him with a baby and then we were in car we were in cars then the, you know the driver would load the car up and then we'd carry the bag to the room 
or then load the car, you know, when we go in the next. So, so actually, a lot of it was just a lot of thinking about logistics, like how are we going to, and, and you think about it every step of the way, it's like, right, we're getting there next, how are we going to do that? How are we going to get that taxi? How are we going to figure that out? And where are we going to eat? And no, yeah. Did you deal with any sickness with, with you or Tiger? Were, were you well, or were you ever worried about getting sick? No. no. I think, obviously, when you've got a little baby, you've they are being breastfed so they're getting a lot of really good antibodies or whatever through yeah but I think also like the if you've got an infection or something then the breast milk is is like nectar to them you know and one thing now she's a toddler that's different is that I used to say to people you're carrying them they're like this yeah they're not walking around picking up stuff off the floor and putting it in their mouths true they're not getting that right she's she's She's, you know, she's only, at that particular time, she was only having milk. And then when we got to, we had a couple of months and then we got to Bangladesh and then I carried, I mean, I just bought like loads of Ella's Kitchen pouches. I literally just filled my bag with them and then I just left them and I kept replenishing them and bought them for shops and things like that. And we were up in the mountains, so there were no mosquitoes. There's no malaria. If you, it's the same as, I mean, obviously it's really hot here in the UK at the moment, but it was probably about, you know, 20 degrees. Well, that's like a nice summer's day in the UK. Yeah, no mosquitoes, no no malaria. She's not wandering around eating things off the floor, you know. And if she and if she had got sick, um, where do you think most of our doctors in the UK come from? And I'm rich, quote unquote, for what, what in India, I'm considered to be a rich person, which, you know, and, you know, I could have got her private medical treatment straight away in a private medical hospital, Every, every single place that I went, that, that was no issue. I was never, I was never worried. Um, I mean, she didn't get sick, so it was so, um, but if she had have done, then I, you know, I, I would have known what to have done and it, and it would have been fine. And I, and I think that people, if they haven't been to India and the Indian subcontinent, they do have this kind of, it's the wild, wild west, it's a third world country. Yes, it is a third world country, but with first world facilities, if you've got the money to pay for them, yeah. yeah so for, so from that from that perspective I was, I was I no I was never worried and she didn't get sick and I didn't get sick were you ever lonely or did, did you feel no like- no I'm very good I'm very good for my own company um but the I, there is a I speak a bit of Bengali and in, in Bangladesh they have the same word for alone and lonely mm. so when they speak in English they interchange them um, and they say, to, uh, um, I remember being asked, and they said, are you a lonely lady? And I said, oh, no. I said, I'm not lonely. I said, I'm alone. I'm traveling alone, but I'm not a lonely lady because I'm meeting all of you people like I'm talking to you now. So how could, we, how could I be a lonely lady? And they're like, oh, yeah, OK, I get that. The thing, the thing with traveling, I think, is that you, if you are on your own, with a baby or without, you learn to talk to people. I talk to people all the time. I talk to people in a restaurant. I talk to people on the street. I mean, they stop and talk to me because they're interested, but you know, why would I feel, no, I, I never did. I, just, I guess it's probably also some of it's down to me and how I am as a person. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I would think nothing about going on holiday when it doesn't really ever worry me or bother me. It seems, in fact, it's really easy because yeah. you don't have to ask anyone else's permission so that was so that was our sort of big trip um, during the maternity leave. Three months in India. We came back to the UK for July and August, and then we went to Bangladesh for a month. So in the total, the sort of total of my nine months maternity, we were abroad for four months of that, plus the extra bits in France and Germany and stuff. And then I then I went back to, back to work and straight into full-time work. I'm a marketing director for two independent schools, and she went straight into full-time nursery. Now she like it slipped into that so easily because she was so used to meeting people all the time, different people holding her. You know, she was very massive, sort of mass- massively socialized. No, we never went to a, I never went to a baby group. I never did anything like that. But she met people all over the place. Yeah, so she, so so that was fine. It was great from my perspective. I loved being back at work, and we sort of we sort of settled into this. Okay, right now, oh normal life. 
we're obviously at the boyfriends on the weekends i've got my blog tigerontour.com and i've managed to sort of keep up every single time we do a holiday i i sort of write it all down and um and how we did it we went to romania last summer in august for sort of three weeks went to transylvania so that was great she's now getting bigger so now i need to start thinking so things which i now things it was it's, it's i have to say it's much easier to take them traveling with their tiny babies because yeah. you don't have as much you know it's everything from clothes to bed you know like so i don't i don't co-sleep it's just not for me and she's still in a travel cot so therefore i need to i need to take a travel cot with me and i've got a great one it's a lightweight one but I, you know, I took a travel cot to Romania because you can't guarantee that hotels are going to have travel cots there. We went to Ethiopia in December, January. So that was just as we were um, going into the full-on lockdown in the UK. So we sort of escaped on a plane at Christmas. I went to Ethiopia for three weeks, which was fantastic. It was great. It was great. And again, you know, people are like, oh my God, Ethiopia, we're taking a toddler. To-. And I'm like... It's fine. We flew around everywhere. It was great. It was wonderful. We had the travel cot. It was, you know, and I did it all before she was, I particularly wanted to do that before she was two because once she's, once they're two, they're more expensive for the flights. So, and, and really, I mean, I I only have, you know, I have 35 days holiday a year, uh, which includes bank holidays. So I try and really sort of maximize what we do. So when I do have annual leave, then I really want to try and maximize that, that we do something exciting and obviously my type of my exciting is usually not you know kind of Spain it's usually something that is a bit more exciting than that if you like. Do you have any any difficult situations any times where you're like oh this isn't actually fun I've tried to do something here but. Um, I was a bit scared going up in a cable car (laughs) <laughs> we went to the top of a we went to the top of a mountain and and I thought that was a great idea and then I was on there were like two different cable cars and I was on the second one and I was looking and I, I'm a little bit scared of heights probably short of thought about it before I went on there and I was a bit like oh I'm really scared but that's just me I probably shouldn't have gone on the cable car what I found is I traveled loads when Daisy was a baby like you're saying so we went to Bali and Jakarta and we we went all over the place we went to visit my friends in Budapest um I would get the train all around the UK um during maternity leave and it was super I had a brilliant experiences every time I then went to Greece to one of the Greek islands for my friend's wedding I'm trying to think how old Daisy was she's probably two and that I found really difficult because it wasn't set up for children where we were staying so that was probably one of my mistakes so there was a swimming pool with no uh, rail and I literally was on pins for the whole time because she was walking and she just kept on going towards the swimming pool so I couldn't relax I couldn't just sit there none of the friends who I was meeting um because we we're going for a wedding had children and I just felt like I was looking after Daisy for the whole time and that two-year-old stage she wasn't sleeping brilliantly it was really hot so I just felt like I was constantly looking after her and couldn't really enjoy everyone else was like socializing and being at the wedding and I found it really difficult and I just remember um, I had a, a childminder so that I could try and um, have the e- the children were invited to the evening yeah. wedding and then you know I, cu- I couldn't get Daisy to sleep that took ages and oh and I just when I got home I was like that was not a relaxing holiday at all I'm exhausted um I haven't really caught up with any of my friends I'm not sure if she had a great time so the majority of travel I've done has been great but now and again I thought that was really difficult and not really that enjoyable so so I did talk about sleeping um my 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 daughter tiger when when she slept 12 hours straight from the minute that we arrived in india eight to late and she has continued to do that and she's now two and a half touch words doesn't change so i'm so lucky and so lucky right so bear that in mind i have 12 hours to myself mm. in a day so it might be the evening and i might be on my own i might be on netflix or whatever but i'm but i still have that rest for half 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 the 24 hours of the day so there is that i think 
in terms of the sort of like the backpacking style of traveling for me what I find a sort of relaxing holiday isn't probably what everybody else would find a relaxing holiday for me I literally never stop thinking about work I'm always on my email I even when I'm on holiday I like it when my mind is occupied with other things like I'm having to constantly think about this that you know and for me it's relaxing because even though I might be like kind of juggle I don't know like going on a going on a camel or sorting out the taxi or and I've been on the go for 12 hours for me because I haven't had to think about work for possibly three weeks or in or nine months actually <laughs> that was relaxing now just to sort of take it back to because I know not everybody's like me that be listening to this so just sort of take it back to slightly more normal traveling uh, which for me would be primarily in the UK for, for me I, got, I mean, I've got a real thing about like travel lodge premier inns at the moment and uh, we're about to do um, next month a, a sort of a travel lodge premier inn road trip around the UK all up to Scotland to town again and I, I don't like co-sleeping um, and so she gets so she's in a cot and I tend to book accessible rooms where you then have two rooms and then they can then she sleeps in the bathroom they're huge rooms right because it's like a so if I and I've got a couple of nights booked off I've definitely got one anywhere I'm going to theatre I use sitters which is a web website for babysitters and and you can order a babysitter to come to your you know to your hotel room and for me you put it online they are all kind of dbs checked nobody could be a sitter for their company if they're not you know really working for children and fully vetted and everything everybody feels you know kind of comfortable with just having somebody kind of knock on your hotel room and say hello I'm your sister and here's my ID and then leave your baby like 10 minutes later but for me that works I mean the other thing I have as a solo mum which which really um I knew that I kind of when I was in the planning stages I knew that I if I could try and afford it then then that would be really helpful and I actually thought it was the only way my relationship was ever going to survive is that we have an overnight babysitter on a Saturday night my parents are, are very lovely but are you know in their 70s and are, are not absolutely not interested in doing any form of childcare at all but I have um, an overnight babysitter Tiger's been going there since she was about six months old every Saturday usually uh, and I drop her off at 7 p.m and I pick her up at 10 o'clock the next morning and we go out on a Saturday night every week and I know it's not you know it obviously has a cost attached to it which I've negotiated which I probably shouldn't disclose publicly but that's something which I, th- I think that you know you need to try and um, save up and and or, or allocate the budget that you do have to, to be able to try and buy in that care if you can and I think if you're going on a two-week holiday or you know like a Greek or Spanish or Portuguese or whatever and you're going to go somewhere for a week and like what you really like is lying by the pool and and, and what you consider as relaxing is that is that it's like the reading a book relaxing then go somewhere where they have like the, where you have kids clubs where you know where the parent where, where they can go off and it's a bit like nursery for them during the daytime and then you can and then they can be asleep and you can sit on your balcony and have your glass of wine and read your book because I think that's probably the way that's and obviously that's probably maybe that's maybe what you learned when you were at that wedding but so yeah that's so true it, it totally depends what your idea of a holiday is and because if I think I feel quite clear to be honest it's changed a little bit now because nowadays he's three and a half I actually quite like spending time with her not that I didn't used to like spending time with her but she's much more company we can have a chat which she makes me laugh you know she's like a little companion now so actually mm-hmm. I feel happier going away just the two of us when she was a baby my idea of a holiday was with other adults I, I wanted other adults but I know many people who are like I my idea of a holiday is no other adults that's like a perfect situation so it's at my advice to people is know what your idea of a holiday is and what your idea of relaxing is and then make that happen because everyone's ideas are the same without children really isn't it all of our ideas just find just find solutions I mean I I, I'm very I'm very happy Uh, yeah don't don't think about problems think about solutions because actually everything is achievable if you really think about it and plan it and read up what the people have done like look at my blog or look at other people's you know uh, advice 
I really liked having on my own. And I think when Ty gets, she's two and a half, but when she gets three and a half, yeah, it's, that's going to open up a whole different thing. Yeah. We can actually co-sleep and shouldn't have to be in a cot probably um, then. So that's one less thing to carry. But also, you know, we can, she can start to, as you say, be more engaging, but also start to remember stuff because she's not going to remember any of this until she's probably about five so that's why we were taking on pictures and everything and at the other end of the scale I mean at some point we're not quite sure when we were allowed to do this but we are hoping to go to with the boyfriend who doesn't I do a lot of stuff on my own and I'm very independent but that's not to say that we never have holidays together and we are still hoping to go to Ibiza and get a, an Airbnb with, you know, sort of five bedrooms and go with our friends, couple so other adults. And I have worked out that in Ibiza, babysitters are really expensive and it's cheaper to take one with you. So my, my very good friend down in Brighton is probably going to, you know, pay for her flight ticket, pay for her, you know, she gets a room, she's with us, she gets a free holiday, pay her a certain amount every day and then like you know one night or two nights off for her so she can go out and I'll stay in and that's and I think that's what we'll do so I think there's workarounds yeah it's exactly what you say it's just finding the right solutions that work for you and one thing financially I really think that the uh, what we did during maternity leave I think it was a close run thing but I think by actually living in India and Bangladesh for four months out of that nine months I think it saved us money. I think it saved me money. I think I would have, despite the fact that I was paying rent and council tax and bills and everything all the way throughout and wasn't living there, I think that on my day-to-day costs, I think I marginally saved money by doing that. Because you spend lots of money in Starbucks and, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, well, it's been so lovely to see you. I think you'll inspire people on two different things. I think hearing the story about having a boyfriend in a less conventional way, but that you've made it work, I think that's amazing. And I think it just opens people's mind to, you know, what is possible. And and it sounds like you've really made it work for you, which is fantastic. And then, yeah, being able to travel, really adventurous travel, being a solo parent, um, again, I think is like super inspiring for people, particularly people who travel before and think, oh, will I still be able to do this? I think it's really reassuring to hear, yes, you can do it. It might look a bit different, but it's still absolutely possible. Um, so yeah, I think people will be really inspired to hear your story so thank you so much for sharing you're very welcome thank you if you've enjoyed this episode of the stalker Life podcast i'd hugely appreciate if you rate review and subscribe i look forward to seeing you again next week